All right, good evening and um, welcome to class number 10, Discipleship Counselor Training Class. And uh, I'm chuckling a little bit because we were having a great conversation in the room and the countdown timer just about snuck up on me. So um, anyway, just telling the folks here about some of the good things that God's doing in my life and I trust that He's doing good things in your life. Matter of fact, I know He's doing good things in your life, you just may not be aware of it. Amen. Sometimes it's uh, more obvious what the Lord is doing uh, than at other times. And um, another brother in the room talking about a new job and just how God's blessing him in that new job. And, and um, so anyway, we're just uh, thankful. Amen. We've got a lot to be thankful for. And uh, I'm glad you're uh, joining us tonight. I've got a good group in the room and another good group online. So let's pray and, uh, and we'll get right to it. Father, thank you for our time together this evening. Thank you, Lord, for uh, the men and women who have made the commitment, Lord, to be a part of this class uh, in particular and, and other classes that we've already had or will have in the future in general, Lord. I thank you, Father, that you are helping us grow, uh, but Lord, also helping us become better equipped to more effectively do what you've called us to do and what you've put us on this earth to do. So, Father, as we uh, come before your word of life, uh, Lord, uh, this evening, I thank you for uh, the anointing of your Holy Spirit upon uh, the speaker and the hearer, Lord, that that you would anoint me to share your word uh, with, with accuracy and precision, and that, Lord, you would also anoint uh, the hearer to hear the word and to receive it, Father. Lord, we recognize that your words are not the words uh, uh, of men, but they're the words of God. You spoke these words to us, Father. They're, in, they're inspired by you, and they have power in them uh, to change our lives and the lives of those that we minister to. So thank you for helping us bring our hearts to attention here and receive the things that you have for us tonight by faith. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. So um, the title of the class tonight, class 10, is The Word of Reconciliation, Part 3. And by now I think we've established that the Word of Reconciliation is speaking of the uh, Word of God, the 66 books, the canon of Scripture, however you want to say that. And we've looked at a, a good bit about the Word already as far as it being inspired by God and what that means and, and how as ministers of reconciliation, the, the Word of Reconciliation has been given to us to equip us uh, to, uh, to use and, and to uh, minister to uh, other people. And so uh, in, in part three, we're, we're going to look at uh, specifically uh, what the scriptures say in Hebrews 11 uh, about the word of his power, the word of his power. And um, I'll go ahead and, and tell you that for many years, even though it said the word of his power, I would read this, the power of his word, and would even <coughs> preach it. You know, maybe I would read the verse and then when I preach, I would reverse it. But there is a reason for the order uh, of the word, uh, the wording uh, this way, the word of his power as opposed to the power of his word. And so we'll get, that, get to that here in just a moment. Um, let's do a little bit of review. 2 Timothy 2 and 15. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And one of the things that we, we spent pretty much all of last class uh, looking into was how to rightly divide the Word of God and, and, and what that means and, and what it looks like. And we looked at some of the basic differences between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant or the Old Testament and the New Testament and how we certainly study and benefit from and learn from the Old Testament. But we live under the, um, the, the New Testament. 
and we drew some really, uh, I think, important uh, differences between how those two operating agreements with God uh, work and how we can't live in the New Testament with an Old Testament mindset. And I know this is a, a really broad sweeping statement and I try to avoid making those because I, um, I obviously have never met every single member of the body of Christ, but having been in ministry now for better than three decades, I've, I've, I've had the opportunity to minister in a lot of different denominations, um, been on staff in different denominations, even had like licensure with different denominations. And, and so the spectrum of people that I have um, had the opportunity to uh, interact with in the body of Christ, um, a large portion of people today are trying to live in the New Testament with an Old Testament mindset. In other words, this is not one of those rare problems that you know only a few people struggle and deal with. And, and it's because we live in a performance-based society, and we, we live in a performance-based world. We live in a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately um, world, and, and our minds have been indoctrinated and conditioned uh, to, to think in those terms. And so it's very easy then for us to carry that mindset into uh, the New Testament or a New Testament relationship with God. So remember, it's not about what you deserve. It's about what God desires for you to have. And the extreme price Jesus paid for us affords Father God that luxury now. So we live under grace. It's not, it's not what we do for God. It's what God's done for us. Remember, the Old Testament was about what you do for God. The New Testament is what God's done for you. That doesn't mean what we do for God isn't important, but our righteousness or our standing before God in the eyes of God is not based upon what you do. It's based upon what He's done. And that's a really, really important point that we will circle back around to and develop in greater detail at a later date because the Bible has a lot, a lot to say about righteousness by faith. Okay. So we ended on uh, last class looking at some of the, the differences between what the Bible seems to say about God in the Old Testament versus what it seems to say about Him in the New Testament. And one of the things you've got to remember is that God is, is, is eternal. He's uncreated. Uh, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Um, he's always been and He always will be. So any thought or, or thinking, you know, perspective that we might have that God has somehow changed uh, is, is wrong. In other words, if, if that's part of your efforts to try to understand the Scriptures, that, that, for instance, God was just real strict in the Old Testament and He got, he got real nice and, and sweetened up in the, in the New, that's, that would be wrong, okay? Um, God has always been God, always will be God. Um, but what we do see is that God has revealed Himself to us um, progressively uh, throughout the Word of God, meaning come middle of the Old Testament, we know a whole lot more about Him than, than we knew uh, in Exodus. And we talked about the 950 different names that God has used to introduce Himself to us. And each one of those names are revealing a little bit more about His nature, about His character, about His generosity, and of course, to me, I think the, the one name, and, and really it's, it, it goes beyond even a name, uh, we see in the New Testament that God is Father, and, and then we see that God is love. 
And, and you know, for those who may not have had the best uh, experiences with an earthly father, uh, that, that you may struggle with that some. I've certainly ran into that over the years. Um, but God is Father. And you gotta, you got to understand that there were people in the Old Testament that when they wrote his name or the name that they knew, they wouldn't put vowels in it because they, did, you know, they just felt his, it's just so precious and so sacred and, and they were so afraid that they might make a letter wrong and they thought they, that would upset him and next thing you know he's having to come apart on them and that sort of thing. And what, what we ultimately see is that he is our loving Heavenly Father. And in the Old Testament, um, there was one person more than any other person that, that understood this about God, and that, and that was King David. Uh, he, he was uh, a man ahead of his times. And he, in the Hebrew, it's the, the Hasid. Um, to say it correctly, you almost have to you know, get that part of the, of the Hebrew language, the Hasid of God. And if you think about it, David was the one who wrote so much about the loving kindness of God, the loving kindness of God. This understanding of God, we, we take for granted that people have always known this about him and understood this about him, but the reality is that, that they did not. And you know, one of the things that we've been diving into here on Sunday mornings is where the scriptures say that Moses knew the ways of God, but the children of Israel only knew his, his acts or his actions. And, and that's still a real problem in our world today um, like how many times did you hear people refer to this latest hurricane as an act of God? See, that's, you know, when we don't know the ways of God, uh, anything that we don't understand, we, we try to just write off as, you know, the mysterious will of God or as an act of God uh, when it you know, absolutely positively was not. Um, so you have these rare people in the Old Testament who knew God more intimately uh, than others, uh, Moses being one of them, David being another uh, one of them. And because of that, God shared things with them and revealed things to them that he did not share with other people, that he did not reveal to other people. It would be like if you have someone that you're really close to, that you're comfortable sharing uh, personal things with, uh, you know, maybe dreams that you have, goals that you have, what have you, that you wouldn't just necessarily put out there for everybody. And, and if you can understand that on a, on a personal level, human to human, then translate that over then into someone that, that God became close to, that became close to God, and God could trust them enough that he could share things with them that, um, that uh, he, he couldn't share uh, with other people. Uh, Daniel would be uh, another example of that. In the New Testament, uh, Paul, it changes in the New Testament because in the New Testament, God's now revealing uh, things to us that were kept secret and kept hidden from the foundations of the world. And so that's, you know, that's a huge thing. But even like with the Apostle Paul, um, Father God, he was so close to God and God trusted him so much that he took him to heaven and showed him around and then told him some things and showed him some things that he was not allowed to tell us. You know, so many things that God revealed to Paul that, that he, they were revealed to Paul so that he could then put them in writing. And now we have the, the wisdom 
uh, of God uh, in those writings. But then there were things that the Lord whispered in Paul's ear and, and perhaps even showed him in heaven that he told him, it's, it's not for this age, it's not for this season, don't, don't, don't let that out of the bag, so to speak, okay? So, um, as I could talk about those things forever because, you know, the, the door of opportunity that we have available to us now as sons and daughters of God, it's unprecedented in the history of, of, of mankind on this earth. Um, in the Old Testament, you know, you had those three offices, king, priest, and prophet, and it was a very select group of people that ever even remotely qualified. Uh, but just to qualify for that, you know, didn't mean you would be chosen uh, to have a portion of God's Spirit upon you. And now we have His Spirit available to us without measure. So it's just there are so many, you know, differences in, in this New Testament, this New Covenant. And, of course, this makes us a serious threat uh, to God's enemy, uh, the devil. And so obviously the devil uh, is trying to keep us confused and deceived and, and lazy and indifferent, uh, you know, all, all these things that prevent us from really growing up into and, and excelling in the, the things that God has for us under this new covenant. So <clears throat> we see then that the revelation of God, and when I say the revelation of God, I'm talking about who he is, I'm talking about what he's like, I'm talking about his character, his nature. Um, uh, I want him in, 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 there's a lady in the room that um, she has a beautiful laugh, and, uh, and she was sitting in another part of the room, and one of the other ladies heard her laugh, and they go looking around, it's like, oh, she's here, you know. Um, and, you know, so what is, you know, God laughs, what, what does his laugh sound like, you know? Um, th th these kinds of, of, of things that, because he's, he's real. I mean, when we say he's a person, obviously he's God, he's uncreated, but he, he, we're talking about the person of God and the personality. That's another one. Thank you, Holy Spirit. His personality. God has a personality. Uh, and so what is his personality like? Um, and even the, dis the distinction between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, these are three distinct persons with three distinct personalities. And, and, um, and, and, and the opportunity that we have uh, to fellowship with them, to be led by them, to know them uh, intimately, to hear their voices. Uh, again, please don't take it for granted. Uh, it, it is a rare and precious gift that, that we have available to us. Now, as we learn and study and, and grow up into these things, we sometimes face these dilemmas to where we see something about God in the Old Testament that seems to contradict something that we see about Him in the New Testament. And so how do we resolve that? And here's a classic example, um, and I, I think I taught, I don't know, 24 lessons on this. I'm not here to try to get off and all that. But, but James tells us, let no one say when he's tested, tempted, or tried, he's being tested, tempted, or tried by God. For God cannot be tested, tempted, or tried by evil. Evil, there's the word kakos, which means to stop short or give up or quit. God cannot be uh, tested, tempted, or tried by evil, nor does he test, tempt, or try any man. Right? So you hear something like that, and then, you know, it's like, well, wait a second. Jesus said, lead us not into temptation. And, and it, it, you know, it says that God did test or God did tempt Abram, you know, in, in the whole sacrificing Isaac scenario. 
And so you, you read those things and you're like, well, is the Bible contradicting itself? Which, which one is it? Well, let me go ahead and assure you that there's no contradiction if there is an apparent contradiction or something that appears to be or seems to be a contradiction, I can guarantee you that there is uh, always an explanation. And so let me give you uh, one example. When it says uh, Jesus taught us to pray and he said, pray to the Father that he would lead us not into temptation. You think, well, why would we ask Father to lead us not into temptation? Because the religious thinking is that when we're tested, tempted, or tried, this is how we, this is how we get stronger in our faith. And, and I've even heard people say that God's tempting us and testing us to see, you know, what we're really made of. I mean, how is it that he knows everything, but he doesn't know what you're made of? I mean, you know, so just some of those lame examples don't work. But, but let's just say that that is the case. Well, then why would Jesus tell us to ask God not to do something that would be ultimately in our favor and our benefit? So even then, no matter which side of the debate that you land on, um, it, <laughs> it, it, it doesn't make sense either way. All right. And so here's the answer. It's, it's, it's an incorrect translation. Because the, uh, the verb tense there in the Greek is what's called aorist subjunctive imperative. You're not going to have to know this to get into heaven one day, so just hear me though, okay? The aorist subjunctive imperative tense would literally be don't do something that you're not doing. Don't do something that you're not doing. You say, well, that don't make sense. Yes, it does. Think with me for a minute. Don't do something that you're not doing. When the Lord was teaching me this, um, my son was very little, and there were kids running in the hallway of the church. And somebody said, don't run, don't run, because they were already running, right? And so my wife looks at my son, who is not running, and says, don't run. Okay, why? Because when a little boy sees other little boys running, what does he want to do? He wants to run in the church too, right? So that would be an example of aor subjunctive imperative. When she said, don't run, she was telling him, don't do something that you're not doing, okay? All right, you with me still? Okay. Um, sometimes it helps if I have a dry erase board on all this. So that's, that's the aorist subjunctive imperative. And that was the verb tense that Jesus was using when he said, um, uh, Father, lead us not uh, into temptation, but what? Deliver us from evil. So the aorist subjunctive imperative simply means the translators missed it by one letter. And how they should have translated that is, Our Father who art in heaven he leads us not into temptation, but delivers us from evil. So there should be an S after um, lead there. You still with me or am I going too deep for you already too early in the class? Yes, you good? So he leads us not into temptation. So notice now all of, all of this then comes into alignment with all the other verses that, that speak to this on the subject. When he says to, uh, to Abram, it said, the translation is God did test Abram. The word could have easily been translated venture. God did venture him. If you understand how venture capitalists work, um, a venture capitalist is like, here's, a, here's an opportunity if you would like to take advantage of it. And so the opportunity that God presented Abram, listen to me now, a man he was in covenant with, a man he was in covenant with, which meant by terms of a covenant, anything you ask your covenant partner to do for you, you are obligating yourself to do for them. So when God, who was in covenant with Abraham, when God asked Abraham to offer his own son as a sacrifice, by covenant, God was obligating himself to do the same one day for all of Abraham's sons. Are you following me? So he puts wood on his 30-year-old son's back 
and they walk three days, and they go up on a hill. We do not know for sure, but you will never convince me that it wasn't the exact location where Jesus was later crucified in Jerusalem. We do know that where he was crucified uh, is present-day Jerusalem. And they go up the hill. Um, any of this sound familiar, right? Wood on his back, 30 years old, up the hill. Even the fact it was a three-day journey, which to, to Abraham, that would have been, uh, you know, three days of my son's a dead man. Um, and yet, what, God provided himself a, a lamb, a ram, actually, who was uh, caught in the thicket. Are you seeing this? Okay. So when, when we, you have to understand a lot of things to understand the true heart of God here. But again, to the Old Testament reader, God was just putting Abraham, you know, uh, in the vice to see, you know, if he squeezed him hard enough, if he, if he would lie and deny him. And, and it's just simply not the case. I, I could go on and on with, with Job, and, and we see that, that Job's issues were, were fear, and fear opens the door to the, to the devil. Job did not have a covenant with God, which meant everything he had was already in the devil's hands. But again, the, the point I'm trying to make is that we, if you want to know who God truly is, and if you want to know what he's really like, his personality, all the above, then you have to see it in the life of Jesus. You have to see it in the life of Jesus. Now, this may be a little bit of an odd way of, of presenting it, all right? But I want you to think of the, of the Word of God as a court system. And I have a typo there. It should say a court system, okay? Think of the Word of God as a court system. And um, when we talk about a court system... Like, for instance, the court system that we have here in the United States of America, if there is a ruling from a lower court that doesn't settle the, the question that, uh, you know, there's still, uh, you know, confusion um, or one side just absolutely disagrees uh, with that, then we have opportunity to do what? To appeal, right? So you can, you can take uh, the ruling from a lower court up to an appeals court to a higher court for further clarification, for, for further um, examination. And, and uh, so sometimes in the appeals courts, it's not just a single judge, but it's multiple justices so that we get a lot of eyes on it. Um, and, and from that then comes perhaps greater clarification. Now, in the system here that we have in the United States, it goes all the way up to a Supreme Court, and in the Supreme Court, there is a Chief Justice. Okay, so I see some of you putting on uh, sweatshirts and sweaters and all that other stuff. So, um, Brother Odie, do you mind going to the hallway and bumping the air conditioner up? It's, I, it's on 70, so you could probably put it up like 72, 73, and, it, and it'll kick off. But what I've done is I've left the fan on. So leave the fan on, if you will, brother, and, and it'll still circulate the air. And I apologize. I, anyway, this is challenging to get the temperature right in this room this time of year. It's probably, if we were, if we were meeting outside, we'd all need jackets, but it was pretty stuffy in here as we started. All right, are you still with me? Everybody good? All right. Is this making sense to you? So, again, can you get that visual imagery then of, of an appellate court all the way up to the chief justice, all right? So, if you read something in the Old Testament, remember now in the Old Testament, 
Um, you know, David, uh, David talked about in one place, you know, how there's no hope in life. And the Bible says that there's no hope in life, okay? But obviously that was based on what he was dealing with at the time. That was based on what he understood at the time. That was limited, right? We know that the opposite is true, that in, in Jesus there's hope. Um, Solomon, life is a cruel, cruel trick. It's a joke. It, it, it's all futile. It's, nothing, it's not worth living. Well, the Bible records that he said that, okay, but that, that was what he understood based upon his revelation of God at that time. We know more about it now, and we know that that's, that's not true, even though, quote, unquote, the Bible says that. You still with me? Man, I, I, listen, I think I said something like this last week, so let me, let me say it again. Uh, and, and I don't think I'm the only one, but if I'm the only one, just go ahead and let me say this, all right? Um, there was a time in my life where these were the questions that stumped me. These were the questions that, you know, I'm just like, well, God, if it says this, then what about this? And I don't understand that because this. And, you know, I was, uh, was kind of one of those guys that listened, you know. And so when the preacher would preach life on Sunday morning and death on Sunday night, I'm like, which one is it, dude? You know, um, just tell me because I got to know this, right? And even, you know, it's, it's not edifying, so I won't go into the whole story, but there was a, there was a time in my adult life when, um, I was not on staff at a church and, and didn't ever plan to be uh, ever again. Uh, but I wanted to know the truth so I could teach it to my children. I didn't want my children to be confused about these things um, like, uh, like I was. And because anytime there's, there's confusion, see, we were created to be bold. Amen. We were created to, 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 to be um, uh, confident. And so the devil's constantly trying to undermine our confidence, dinging away with these little uh, questions, and that's an inconsistency, and if the Bible was really true, it would say it different, that sort of stuff, okay? So if you look at it as a court system, um, rulings that were made in the Old Testament were made based upon what they knew at that time. So anything that you read in the Old Testament about God or how God does things that doesn't seem exactly right or doesn't quite seem to line up with what God's showing you, you have to take that and drag it from the Old Testament through the blood of Jesus into the New Testament. Okay? And so would you like to guess what the Supreme Court of the Word of God is? It's everything written in red. Because what's written in red, or if you don't have a Bible that has you know, red letter edition, uh, written in red means it came directly from the mouth of Jesus himself. So this is God in the flesh living among us speaking. And we know that he came just based upon, like I shared with you, his first sermon. You've heard it said, but I say. He came to, to get some things properly aligned. And some ideas and some teachings and some uh, even practices that people had adopted based upon what they understood from the Bible that were incomplete at best and totally wrong at worst. Okay, So the Word of God as a court system, the Supreme Court are the words spoken from the mouth of Jesus or the parts written in red. But if there is a Supreme Court, then there's a Chief Justice. And the Chief Justice uh, is John chapter 10, verse 10. And John chapter 10, verse 10 is written in red from the lips of Jesus. He says this, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. Notice the period there. Full stop, okay? I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. So what Jesus is doing here is he is drawing a line in the sand. And he is saying if it's stealing, if it's killing, if it's destroying, 
it's, it's the devil. It's the thief. That's his only agenda. He wakes, uh, you know, not, I don't know if he sleeps or not, but you understand what I'm saying? He, that, that's what, he wakes up, you know, theoretically in the morning. How can I steal? How can I kill? How can I destroy? Um, but Jesus has come that we may have life and that we may have it more abundantly. And, and this rule of thumb, if you will, um, will, will, will help you immensely um, when, um, when we see things like tornadoes and hurricanes and all this other stuff. And I'm not here to teach and all that. I've already mentioned it twice. But we live on a broken planet. Um, and and this, the planet is broken because of sin. And, but as God's children, we have a covenant and are able to rise above these things. And, uh, but again, we have to you know, walk with the Lord and listen uh, to Him. Now, amen. So let's go. We're going to kind of start making a little turn here. Let's go to James chapter 1 and verse 22. James 1 and 22. And uh, it says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So we've spent some time now, I guess the better part of, of a class and, um, and a quarter uh, on rightly dividing the Word of God. Now we come to this, uh, what the Bible teaches us about skillfully applying it. And again, we see this uh, worded uh, directly that way in, uh, in Hebrews 5 where there were people who had been saved and a part of the church for many years but um, were still as spiritual babies, spiritual infants. They needed somebody to feed them when they should have been feeding other people the word, spiritual meals. And he specifies that it was because they were unskilled in the word of God or in the word of righteousness. Not necessarily unknowledgeable. He didn't say that they didn't know. If they'd been in church that long and paid half attention for 10 years, they knew some things. But it wasn't the knowledge that, that was necessarily um, what enabled them to grow. It, it was the doing. And so when we talk about skillfully applying, first of all, we're talking about skillfully applying it to our own lives, to put into practice the Word of God in our own lives. But as ministers of reconciliation, remember these classes are taught from the perspective of equipping you to be a minister then a minister of reconciliation helps other people learn how to mentors other people, leads other people, counsels other people, serves other people, teaches other people, whatever, whatever word you want to put in there. But this branch of the minister of reconciliation uh, known as discipleship, this is where we help people uh, understand the Word of God and then be able to put it into practice in their lives. Remember the parable that Jesus taught about the sower sowing the word and and he compared it to seed being planted and how the seed would land uh, on on different soil conditions and it, the different soil conditions would produce different results and um and we said that jesus said that there was one you know condition of heart where satan came immediately and he was able to steal the word and he was able to steal the word because people didn't understand uh, the word. So before we can ever 
practically do the word, we've got to understand it, right? You follow me? This is why, you know, I am deliberately repetitive. This is why I'll say the same thing. If, if, if the Lord showed me how to say it ten different ways, I'll say the same thing ten different ways. Because maybe it's the eighth time I say it a different way, it clicks in somebody's heart, okay? Um, so it's, it's, it's about helping you, uh, anybody that I have the opportunity to, to serve and minister to, is, is to help them understand it, not just from an intellectual uh, position, but understand it from a doable position, a doable position. Um, the Lord spoke to me back what we call the cabinet shop days here at Heritage. This, this would have been uh, 1998, um, so a little, a little while ago, that um, he didn't want me to try to be a wow preacher. He wanted me to be a how preacher. And the, the, the difference is a wow preacher you know, likes to wow people with their uh, clever ways of saying things and uh, the emotion and the drama and, and you know all that stuff and um, I used to, if you've ever listened to some of my tapes from <laughs> from back in those days okay I mean the people that knew me back then they're like what's happened to you I'm like well you know my voice still works thank God uh, after some of those uh, hollering screaming uh, sermon times but um, amen I hope I've uh, y'all good Y'all get so quiet sometimes I think, man, is it COVID again and I'm just sitting here talking to this camera? Or no, there's actually people in the room. So, <laughs> Amen. Um, so, uh, so I'm like, okay, Lord, I think I got the wow part. What do you mean by the how part? He said, he said if they don't know how to do it, you're wasting your time. If you don't leave here knowing how to do something that you didn't know how to do before, you follow what I'm saying? So it's, it's, it's about understanding it to the level of doability where we can actually... Uh, do the word of God. So if you, if you write things down, write this down. The difference is in the doing. The difference is in the doing. Um, the Lord reminded me of a prophecy that he gave me um, October the 20th, 2002. That was 20 years ago. And uh, it's interesting that he reminded me of, of that prophecy uh, this close to uh, its anniversary. And um, I am uh, I'm going to uh, share that on Sunday morning. I believe the Lord's leading me to do that. I'm going to share that uh, prophecy again on Sunday morning here at Heritage. But it's, it's, a very, um, it's a very specific prophecy uh, about what God uh, desires to do uh, in our in our lives and in our finances, and it and it's it's kind of interesting. I actually found this in a drawer, uh, in it, it was one of our associate pastors who who retired, uh, and I was uh, looking uh, for some healing scriptures. Uh, a man came by the church and asked, you know, some healing scriptures, and I had you I had given my last copy away. And I said, man, Pastor Rick used to keep some of those uh, in, in his drawer. And so I went to, to his drawer to find the healing scriptures, and he had a copy of that prophecy in there. Now, here's the unique thing about that, though, okay? It's back to the locker, the, the foot locker with uh, my yearbook in it, right, with, with Brother Don, um, is that I found that 
the Lord, for those of you who don't know, we've started um, a sermon series here at Heritage on Sunday morning called Giving and Receiving. And so it's like, man, you know, it's just the, there's no coincidences in, in any of this. But there were some people, no, no one really bold enough to say it just like hatefully to my face, but there were some people who were kind about it. And, you know, they're like, uh, Pastor Mark, you, you prophesied all that stuff and it ain't happening. It ain't happened to me. Uh, you know, I'm, I hadn't seen that kind of, you know, increase that, you know, was, and so obviously I'm trying to, you know, be uh, gentle, uh, but, you know, with the, a, a prophecy that somebody may be inspired by the Holy Spirit to give, uh, or all the way down to something that God himself has said directly to us. Um, we have to receive that by faith. We have to confess that. We have to, in other words, just, just because God said it doesn't mean it's going to automatically, magically, deliciously, you know, somehow happen in your life, right? We have to go after these things. We have to seek. We have to ask. We have to knock. We have to desire. We have to hunger. Uh, when I say hunger, I, I don't mean like starvation hunger. I mean like... It, it has to mean something to us, you know. And, and the amazing thing is when I look at what God has done in my life and my, and my family's life, uh, <laughs> I mean, don't even get me started on how good God has been uh, and how true that prophecy, uh, you know, has, has proven to be. Uh, concerning my life and my family and a lot of other members of this family of faith. So you can hear the Word of God and it, and it not benefit you. As a matter of fact, I'm not trying to scare anybody off from hearing the Word of God, but we, we actually see that for in Hebrews 4 that when we hear the Word of God and don't, don't do anything with it, that it can actually be harmful to us. Because if, you, if, if God speaks to you and you ignore Him, it makes it a little bit harder for Him to get your attention next time because you become desensitized uh, you know, to His voice. So just because you hear you know, God you know, speak to you uh, through His Word or through someone else or what have you, um, there's still a response that's called for uh, on, on your part and on, and on my part. And you know, so how, how we respond... Um, to, uh, to those things. Amen? Are you with me? So this is what we mean by the simple statement, the differences in the doing. Um, it, you know, if you're a hearer only, right? That's what the scriptures say. Uh, be careful because you just, you'll just wind up deceiving yourself. Because you can hear things from God that will encourage you. You can hear things from God that will make you feel better about yourself, whatever that means. You can hear things from God that will you know, give you a pep in your step or so to you know. But if you just hear it and never act upon it, um, the difference that the power, uh, that, the, that, that the, the difference making power that's in his word, right, will be, will be uh, limited at best uh, as it relates to, to you and to your life. Now, Jesus gave us a, a parable on this. Uh, we see it in Matthew's gospel and in Luke's gospel. And it's in Matthew 7. We'll begin at verse 24. Jesus said, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. 
but it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. I'm sorry, I didn't put that last one up there. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. So in this parable, Jesus is clearly, you know, emphasizing um, the importance of hearing these sayings of mine and doing them. And so he gives us this scenario of two separate individuals who both hear the things that Jesus has to say to, us, to them, to us. Um, and they both built houses and they both experienced the same uh, identical uh, situations, you know, coming against them in life. Uh, but one individual stood the test of time. Uh, as life uh, happened to him and difficulties and challenges that he faced, um, he kept rising back to the top again and again and again and again, so to speak. But the other man, uh, he, he didn't. His, his life kept crumbling, kept, kept falling, okay? And so, but notice that whole parable, that whole parable, Jesus says the fundamental, it was to emphasize the fundamental difference. One man heard and did, the other man heard and did not do, okay? So, the difference is in the doing. Now, we could spend a long time on this part. I'm going to try to go through it quickly. I don't want to go through it too fast. Um, but we see some very uh, unique ways that we can develop, develop skillfulness with the Word of God. All right. And um, so let me, let's run through these. First of all, um, we see the Word of God is seed. And we see this, we see in a lot of places, but 1 Peter 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 23, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. Then again in Mark chapter 4, where Jesus said, the sower sows the Word. We see this in uh, Matthew 13, I think Luke's gospel as well. I don't remember the exact chapter in Luke. So the Word of God then is seed. So this means one of the skill sets that we need to uh, develop where the Word of God is concerned is, uh, is to learn how the, and to understand the importance of planting the Word of God. Now that may sound like an odd thing and certainly I don't mean go out in your backyard uh, and, and dig a hole and bury a Bible. That's not, that's not what we mean, okay? Planting the Word of God. What, what I am endeavoring to do right now is plant the Word of God in your hearts, okay? And if you, this may not be exactly 100% accurate, but if, if, I'm, if you're hearing things you've already heard, then perhaps I'm not planting it, but I'm, I'm watering it, okay? So um, planting uh, the Word of God in, in other people's hearts and minds and lives uh, remember that uh, our responsibility is to, is to give the word, tell the people the good news, uh, but God gives the increase is what we see in Scripture. So, you know, sometimes you may, you know, speak to someone and, and you even felt led of the Holy Spirit to maybe say some specific things to them and they seemingly weren't moved by it. You know, you, you were expecting them to maybe crumble in a, in a you know, pile of tears and start crying out to God and they, 
you know, just kind of said, okay, well, that's cool. You want to go get a hamburger, you know, just kind of blew it off. But remember, your responsibility is to plant the seed. The Word of God is seed and to plant the Word of God in people's hearts and minds and lives. And sometimes that's with a big black, you know, huge Bible, leather bound, whatever Bible, and quoting King James to them. Other times it's just, hey, let me tell you what God's been saying to me lately. Um, and you maybe even paraphrase a few scriptures and just present some, some thoughts and some truth to them. But that's, that's developing skill where the Word of God is concerned as a seed. Okay, the Word of God is a seed. Now, the one thing that I want to make sure you understand before I go any further is we're going to look at, I think, four more of these. But in each case, if the Word of God is a seed, um, then how, if, let me say it another way, if, let's put it up on the screen. If God's words are seed, then how do you plant them? All right? And the answer is by speaking. You plant the Word of God by speaking. You plant the Word of God by speaking. Now, at, after we work through these, we're, we're going to see where God desires to use you to plant the heavens with His Word. Okay? Plant the heavens with His Word. So now we're, we're not just talking about uh, other people's lives or you know, th these sorts of things. Um, and by the way, l l let me... I got a little bit ahead of myself on that. I'm excited to get to that. But you can also plant the word where your heart and life is concerned, again, by speaking it, by speaking and confessing the word of God. Okay. Now, the next thing I want us to look at is where the Bible identifies itself as light or the word of God um, is uh, light. Psalm 119.105 and Psalm 119.130. 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And then I really, really like this one. Psalm 119.130. The entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. So um, have you ever had a situation, uh, trying to make a decision, trying to figure something out, and you needed someone to shed some light on it for you? You know, um, what does that mean? It's a perspective that you didn't have, uh, some way that they looked at the situation that you hadn't quite seen it from that angle yet. And so when they present that to you, all of a sudden it shed light on that that you didn't have in that moment. And so anytime we can introduce God's words into a situation, into a dilemma, into a celebration, it doesn't have to be something negative or, or, or problematic. But anytime we can... Uh, turn the light of God's Word on into a situation, it's going to illuminate it in a way um, that nothing else can, that nothing else can. So, you know, planting the seed, we think of, 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 of a, skillful, a skillful farmer, okay? Um, and then here, where we're able uh, to, um, to give light. One classic example, uh, eternal example of this is in Genesis 1, we see that the earth was without form. It was, it was empty. It was chaotic. And, um, and it was covered in darkness. And God said, let there be light. Let there be light. And it was the entrance of His Word into that situation that brought light. 
uh, into that situation when God spoke it. Now, if you look at, if you look at the account carefully, um, it's not going to be until later that the luminary bodies are created. Um, and, of course, we know that one day in heaven that it won't be the S-U-N that gives us light, but that Jesus himself um, will be the light in heaven. So the entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. This one you, you may have already uh, picked out or thought about. The word of God is a sword. The word of God is a sword. And this one comes out of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Okay? So the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This, of course, is from that uh, beautiful depiction of our spiritual armor uh, that the Holy Spirit gave the Apostle Paul and, uh, of course, passed along uh, to us. And we see that the sword of the Spirit was the uh, offensive weapon. Uh, all the other uh, implements, all the other armor pieces were defensive in nature to protect and defend against an attack. But the sword of the Spirit is the, uh, the offensive weapon. And I know I've said it a couple of times already, but if the Word of God is a sword, then how do we swing it at um, spiritual enemies? Speaking it. Come on now, are you with me? Do I, need to, do I need to spend a little more time there? How, how, what did Jesus do when the devil came at him hard and fast? It is written. It is written. It is written. Right? He, he spoke the word of God. That's how every time Jesus, you know, went back at the devil, when the devil tempted him, every time Jesus went back at him with the word of God, he, he was... Um, revealing his uh, sword skills. Amen. He, he was, notice, rightly dividing, skillfully applying um, every time. And, and then remember, um, the devil tries to mix it up, and he tries to use the word against Jesus uh, incorrectly, obviously. And Jesus wasn't fooled by that. So the word of God is the sword of the Spirit. And if we are going to effectively swing that sword, we're going to have to do it by speaking the Word of God out of our mouths. Man, I, I almost want to just take my glasses off and pull up a chair and just talk to y'all about this for a little while because, I, listen, I, this is important, right? This is important. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. People aren't your problem. People aren't your problem. People being influenced and manipulated by the enemy, they may appear to be your problem, but they're not your problem. The devil's your problem. We don't have authority over other people's choices and actions, but we do have authority uh, and weaponry to use against the demonic spirits that are trying to influence and manipulate other people and use them against us. Are you hearing me? This is really, really important. And so, you know, from time to time over the years when I've taught on the subject of spiritual warfare, you know, I've had, I've had people say, ah, you know, I, I'm not into all that warfare business, Pastor Mark. It's like, well, listen, whether, whether you're into it or not, you're, you woke up in a hostile environment this morning. You, you woke up uh, on a planet that is uh, engaged in spiritual warfare. There's a very real uh, devil who is roaming about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And we've been given armor to defend ourselves uh, from his attacks, and we've been given 
um, a weapon, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, to uh, use against him and against his uh, tactics. But again, the only way to swing it is to speak it, right? Um, I'm, I'm not trying to be silly, but you, know, you don't just grab the Bible and start wailing away at the air. It's, you have to speak it out of your mouth. Amen? All right, so the Word of God is a fire, okay? Because remember, His words are living and powerful. So this is found in Jeremiah 23, 29. Is not my word like a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Okay? So obviously, you know, fire can be used uh, for many different things, uh, beneficial things and harmful things. Um, one of the uh, principles that we'll look at in the days ahead out of James is where we see that when our hearts became separated from God because of sin, that our tongues became set on fire with the fires of hell. And what a great matter a little fire kindles. So, you know, we go around, you know, let's say, um, I'm sure nobody in this room, but, you know, some go around spreading gossip, speaking rumors, these kinds of things. What are you doing? You're setting little fires that can become wildfires, especially in a social media world. Um, they can become uh, wildfires. And so when we see the Word of God is a fire, and when the first group were baptized in the Holy Spirit, the outward sign of that was a cloven tongue of fire resting upon each of their heads. It was signifying that um, their tongues had been surrendered back to God and were now being set on fire with the fires of God's Spirit and the fires of heaven. Amen? So the Word of God is a fire. I think we could all relate to it in a negative sense where someone could uh, spread gossip or, or rumors and it just be like a wildfire, okay? But the, the good news is that we can also do that in a, in a positive way. Um, the Bible talks about uh, in Hebrews 10, provoking one another, wait for it, wait for it, to good works. Provoking one another to good works. We, we often think in terms of provoking someone to, to do something, you know, uh, foolish, you know, jump, jump, jump off the bridge. It's only 100 feet to the water. You'll be okay. You know, or, you know, the, the, these different things where we provoke people in a negative way or a foolish way or a harmful way or a dangerous way. But we can provoke one another to good works, and we can set uh, good fires, amen, good wildfires that, um, that will spread and encourage people and lift them up. Now, the next one is taken from this same verse, and, um, and it's uh, number five, the Word of God is a hammer. It's a hammer. And we've already looked at it in verse 29. It's the last phrase, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. All right, now, let me put that up on the screen. I don't think I did that for everybody online. The Word of God is a hammer. Again, Jeremiah 23, 29. Is not my word like a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. Okay, so how are we to understand this one? Amen. Well, how about Jesus said in um, Mark 11, 23, 24, that um, if you speak to the mountain, 
that mountain will be moved. Okay? So I believe, now don't misunderstand me, everything in this created realm, because the Word of God created this world, and so everything in this created realm is subject to the Word of God. That's why Jesus could speak the words of God to a fig tree and that fig tree wither at the roots, right? So call me extreme or fanatical or whatever, I believe the Word of God is powerful enough to move a literal mountain into the ocean, okay? Um, and if God created the heavens and the earth with His words, then why are His words not powerful enough to rearrange something uh, here on the earth, okay? Um, so don't think I'm watering this down. I'm just trying to maybe put it on a scale where you can take this ball, or maybe I should say it a different way, you could take this hammer uh, and start swinging it, or take this hammer and run with it uh, this evening, okay? It is to think of uh, a mountain or rocks being obstacles in your pathway. Things that are trying to stop you, thwart you, block you, prevent you, slow you down, what have you. And the, the Word of God is a hammer that breaks the rocks in pieces. Now, I haven't had a lot of experience swinging a sledgehammer into rocks. I, I have a little bit, but uh, growing up, um, my dad, uh, Joel's granddad, we, we pretty much heated our home with firewood. And so I have, uh, now we've got a gas-powered log splitter now, which makes it almost fun to do. But uh, in those days, it was the old sledgehammer and wedge, or then they came out with, you know, what they call it a wood maul, if you're familiar with that. It's like this big beast-looking thing that you know, if you hit the wood hard enough, um, but sometimes if, if it, the wood wasn't dry enough or what have you, it, it may take three, four, five, six blows before that wood would finally split. I, I see some folks who probably know a thing or two about that, okay? So I want you to think of it in terms of keep chipping away, keep chipping away, keep chipping away. In other words, how do you, if, if the Word of God is a hammer, and you've got some obstacles that need to be broken up and removed. How do you, how do you break through that wall? How do you break through that, that, that obstacle? If it's a hammer, you break it with a hammer. But if it's, if it's a word hammer, then you swing the hammer by speaking it. So the, the simple point is keep speaking to the mountain. Keep speaking to the obstacle. Keep speaking to the symptom. Keep speaking to the problem. Keep speaking to the situation. Amen? Um, you know, we I don't know if we get to it tonight, but, you know, like there are certain things in the scriptures where the Bible says, all of my children are taught of the Lord and great shall be the peace of my children. Any parent in the room, you need to start speaking that over your children. You start planting the heavens and, if, and their hearts and lives if they hear you say, you know. Um, notice again, you say, well, I, I tried that, Pastor Mark, you know, and, and uh, just it, nothing ever changed. I, you know, it's like, again, keep chipping away. <laughs> Keep chipping away, amen? Um, again, testimonies before uh, service, uh, for class uh, this, this afternoon. Um, one of the people in the, in the room, has, she's been chipping away at a situation, chipping away at a situation, and this week she, she experienced some breakthrough, okay? Some breakthrough. So the Word of God is a hammer. It's um, that breaks the rock in pieces, 
and we can direct the Word of God at things in our lives and see those things uh, broken apart, see those things moved, see those things change. Are you with me still uh, this evening? So let me, um, let me challenge those of you watching online, those of you in the room. If there's, if there's some situation or issue in, in your life that you need some breakthrough on, you would desire some breakthrough in, in that area, maybe it's something that's just kind of been hanging over your head, maybe it's some physical symptom in your body, maybe it's uh, some financial issue, I don't know, legal, whatever the case may be. Pick out, pick out something in your life that you want to see some progress in, some movement, positive, you know, move the needle in a positive direction. I'm, I'm not asking you for five or six or three or four, just one, just one thing. And then ask the Lord, what, are, what is a verse or some verses that He has already given to you for the purpose of using against that situation for change, okay? And then start swinging the sword. Start turning on the light. Start sowing the seed. Start swinging the hammer. Start lighting the fire, okay? By how? How do we do that? By consistently speaking. Now, if you have a situation that, that, that you uh, are wanting to see some change made, because again, if we don't know how to do this, if we don't ever start trying to learn how to do this, okay, then it's interesting because part of, part of what, and it happens like this every now and then, but part of what we've talked about tonight, actually we're going to be covering in the main service, but it's Luke's, it's Luke's version of the parable of the, two, of the two men and the two houses. And Luke includes something in there that, um, that, that we didn't see. I believe it was Matthew's version. And, and that was that the man who heard and did the Word of God, it wasn't just that he built his house on a firm foundation. The Bible says that in hearing and doing, he dug deep. Meaning what? Meaning he, he dug through all the stuff that has just kind of accumulated and things that, that you know, those you'll know where to say amen if you stay for the service tonight, but... You know, where does topsoil come from? It comes from leaves falling out of trees. It comes from stuff that blows in and, and it accumulates over time. But you can't build on that. It makes, you can grow some nice watermelons in that soil, but you, you, you don't want to build a house on that soil. And so you've got to dig through all that stuff. And, and a lot of times things that, that we think and, and have you had to unlearn some stuff? You understand know what I mean by unlearning some stuff? Stuff you've learned, stuff you've been told about God since you were a kid. You find it out now. Ain't, ain't no more true about God. You know, the Bible don't say nothing about that. It's just what, what mom and them believe, you know. Superstitions, just, you know, traditions, religious, quasi-religious traditions, whatever, you know. And so you're having to unlearn it. Well, the unlearning it is you're, you're digging. You're digging through the stuff that, that won't support the kind of life of faith, hope, and love that God created you to live. And so notice, though, the same way that he built on the firm foundation is the same way he dug down to get to the firm foundation, by doing. It's, it's when you start doing the Word of God, now all of a sudden you, you, know, you, you start seeing things you didn't see before because it's, it was never meant to just be an intellectual gospel. It was, it, it's meant to put the yoke, remember what discipleship and that yoke, <laughs> doing life alongside Jesus and, and you learning uh, as, as you live and as you, as you go and as you grow. And, and so you come to these things that need to be rooted out, and he'll help you root them out. 
and 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 so it's it's just this whole beautiful process uh, that uh, takes place in our lives. But if we the difference is in the doing. If we if we never try to speak the word of God to a situation, if we never. I mean, look at all the things Jesus did with words. Look at all the things that he changed with words, all the people that he healed with words. All, it's, it's phenomenal. And he, remember, he was our example. He's our example. Okay. Amen. You still with me? All right. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. All right. So now we're getting to the second part of our title, which is the word of his power. The word of his power. You get anything out of this? All right, now I'm serious. I want you to, uh, let, let me tell you, uh, I forget, it was a few years ago, um, probably more than that now, um, I, was, I was here teaching and um, our, the church owns uh, these buildings here across the street and we own the ones out here on Brooklyn. And um, it's rental properties for the church, Lord... Uh, blessed us. I mean, to, to give you some idea, the, the tax appraised value on that one is, I think, $1.3 million, and um, we bought it for 130000 I mean, so, yeah, it's just, just the goodness of God, favor of God. But the thing that was, and I, this, you know, I, there could have been something else, I'm sure, but the one thing that was really bugging me when I was teaching that class was that we had several vacancies in our in our properties, and um, you know, I'm like, man, Lord, you blessed us with these, and um, there's insurance expenses and all kinds of stuff, and um, so I thought, well, you know what, that's 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 the problem I'm going to go after uh, with the, with the Word of God, right? And um, man, it wasn't long after that 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 our our buildings were full, and um, with some godly people. Uh, you know, that put God first in their businesses. And, and, and ever since that day, like now, um, and I didn't even know this was a thing. I mean, just, again, walking with the Lord, Him teaching you as you go. Um, we, we have uh, tenants that are part of, like, either regional or, or even national-type companies that um, their corporate office sends us the, the, the church, the rent check, the rent payment. Every, so I, I know when I say I want you to something that you want to see some progress in, something that you need some results in your life in, whatever, that, that, it could be something that simple. It doesn't have to be, you, you know, some serious diagnosis or whatever. But again, the Word of God is good for that as well. But just remember that, you know... Um, have to be careful here because I'm not trying to offend anybody at all, but I cannot tell you the number of people that I have seen over the years that would not miss a doctor's appointment for anything but won't come to church. See, you follow what I'm saying? You say, well, Pastor Mark, sounds like you're being judgmental. I'm not being judgmental. I'm just saying, Right? Where, where does the Word of God fit in our, in our priorities? Where does, you know, um, there, there was one situation, and I'll try to be careful on this because um, we are live streaming, but there was a situation where I got a call from a family, um, and it was in the middle of the night, 
and I'm talking about demons manifesting. Um, I was uh, associate pastor, youth pastor at the time, and, the, and they had called the pastor, and the pastor called me. And, um, and it, it was, I'm telling you, it was, it was serious, you know. Um, I walked in that house, and, and um, the devil in that person, she, she looked at me, you're a preacher, aren't you? I was like, <laughs> yeah. I'm more than that, though, praise God. Amen. And um, so there was great deliverance. Listen to me now. There was great deliverance. That family was terrified that night. Great deliverance. I'm talking about God just, I mean, he's so mercifully, so kind, he's so gracious. And um, left there two or three hours later, and everybody's crying and weeping and just set free and all sort of stuff, right? So, you know, I get to church early that morning. I'm thinking they're going to be sitting there waiting for me to unlock the door. I don't think they ever, ever so I, I called later that afternoon. I said, hey, is everything okay? I mean, it's, you know, because I, I was, you know, like, are you, do we need to come back over there? You know what? No, 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 Pastor Mark. Everything's fine. It's, I'm telling you, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I said, well, good deal. I said, well, look, will, will y'all be at church tonight? Oh, no, no, no. We, we got doctor's appointments tomorrow. We need to get in bed early. You know, so I'm not, listen, I thank God for doctors. A lot of godly men and women are doctors, nurses. My son's a, a nurse. My, my daughter-in-law's a pharmacist. I'm, I, I'm, don't, I'm not knocking doctors, but what I'm saying is, um, you know, if, if you took one antibiotic and your nose kept running, you'd probably take the next one before you went to bed and the next one you woke. So let's, let's give the word of God the same, uh, not the same, excuse me, a higher place of priority and um, speak it, speak it, speak it, speak it, speak it. All right. If you need some help with some verses that apply to your situation, uh, reach out to me. All right. Hebrews chapter one. I gave you plenty of time to find it. Amen. All right. Hebrews chapter one. And um, let's begin at verse number one. We'll read one, two and three. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Wow. We don't know for sure who wrote, well, let me say it another way. We know the Holy Spirit wrote the book of Hebrews, but we don't know the instrument that he used. There are lots of different ideas. Um, with, the, with most people leaning towards it being Paul or one of Paul's close associates, perhaps Barnabas or Apollos. Um, there are some who uh, say, and I think it would be pretty cool if this is the case, um, that it was um, Priscilla of the uh, dynamic duo um, Priscilla and Aquila meaning a female author, 
and that's why her name was not attached to the book. Um, I mean, I, don't get me wrong, I think it'd be neat if that's the case, but, you know, the first gospel evangelist to tell the world that Jesus was alive was a woman, so we don't see God playing that, that game. I mean, you know, I mean, it, it, are you following what I'm saying? I'm not just a woman, but a woman who had a really shady past. I mean, let me say it another way, okay? That, woman's, that woman would not be allowed, she would not have been allowed to testify in a court of law. That was how the, her culture and society looked at her. It wasn't how her creator father looked at her, okay? Um, let me tell you something, though, that to me is a little bit more important than debates on who wrote it. It's to whom it is written, okay? And... This is an epistle, which is a fancy word for letter. The epistles begin after the book of Acts, so starting with Romans. And we see that Romans is a letter to the church at Rome. We see 1st and 2nd Corinthians. They're letters to the church at Corinth, Thessalonica, Ephesus, Philippi, Colossae, Galatia. Um, all of these are letters written to the church, meaning they are written to people who have already been born again and are members of the church, members of the body of Christ, and they are addressed and, and spoken to them as such. The one lone exception is the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is an open letter to the Hebrew people. And when I say open letter, that means it's written to... Hebrew, by the way, means Jewish. It's written to Jewish people who have been saved, and it's also written to Jewish people who have not been saved. One of the reasons that I, that I personally believe that it was the Apostle Paul who wrote it is because the, the writer, uh, the Holy Spirit through the writer of the book of Hebrews is going after people who experienced the earthly ministry of Jesus, maybe their children were healed. Maybe they were healed. Maybe they were there the day when they ate more fish and chips uh, than they had ever eaten in their lifetimes. Uh, food was so plenteous they ate until their bellies hurt and there was leftovers, okay? All these people who heard him teach, who who witnessed his miracles, who saw him cast demons out of people, and yet they had never accepted him as their Savior. They had never called upon him to, to, to receive salvation. And given the timing now, a lot of those folks have already passed into eternity. But, you know, so that's one of the emphases, emphases, whatever, uh, one of the things that, that the Holy Spirit through this writer is going after. And so we see in the early portions of the book of Hebrews that he is uh, establishing, the, the Holy Spirit is establishing that Jesus is greater than this and Jesus is greater than that. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than the prophets. He's greater... And, and so, like, one example would be uh, a major hang-up for a lot of, of people in this day and age when this book was written was that Jesus was a de descended from the tribe of Judah. And, um, and so the priesthood, if you recall, was from the tribe of Levi. Y'all remember us talking about that? And so... The Messiah was to become the great high priest, 
And so th these were one of many hang-ups, hiccups, whatever that people had, arguments. There's no way he could be the Messiah because the Messiah is going to be the great high priest, which means he has to come from the tribe of Levi and Jesus came from the tribe of Judah. And so I'm just giving you an example here so you can read the book with you know, better footing. So you see then why the Holy Spirit through the writer of Hebrews explains that Jesus did not descend. He is the Messiah. He is the great high priest. But he did not descend from the line of Levi. He came from the line of Melchizedek without beginning, without ending. In, in essence, Jesus is Melchizedek, okay, who came to this earth again uh, in the flesh. So that's the... That's the early tone, tone of it. And then, of course, we get into some deeper things about um, the law and grace and redemption. And we'll make a lot of visits to the book of Hebrews before we are finished in May. Okay, But in these opening verses, to me, they, I don't know. I mean, you have to get to Ephesians 2 for me personally to find verses that are more just rich in the in the way they're written remember this wasn't written in english it was it was uh, written in greek and then translated and so sometimes you know the translation makes things a little different from the way we would speak but even i'm going to i'm going to use the poetic nature uh, of of these verses but the content of what we see here um, in, in these three verses. So let's, let's try to, to just begin to work our way through, okay? So God, various times, various ways, spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. So what, what is he pointing out? He's like, look, you know, again, to the Hebrew people, um, God spoke at different times through different people in the past by the prophets. That was what they were familiar with. Remember, the great debate over Jesus was, is he a prophet? You know, uh, some, obviously more as, as time went on, believed he was more than a prophet. He was the Messiah. But the average person, their debate was not whether or not he's the Messiah, but whether or not he was a prophet, because that was what they understood. That's what they were familiar with. And um, forgive me for not knowing the exact uh, number of years, but between um, the last prophet recorded in the... Old Testament canon. Of course, we know John the Baptist was the was as we said last week. He was the transitional uh, prophet, last great prophet of the Old Testament. But from Malachi to John the Baptist, four hundred. Somebody know exactly? Was it four eighty? That it was a long time. What I'm saying there there had not been a prophet in Israel for a long, 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 long time. And so all these people would have known about prophets is what they had been told about them from the scriptures or those that knew how to read what they had read about them uh, in the scriptures. And so all they knew is that Jesus was, was doing things that they never seen anybody else do. And so they're trying to figure out where he fits into all this. So he goes on because notice it's a comment at the end of verse 1. So various times, various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by His Son. Now, the important distinction here is, and you, when you dig into the original language, it's, it's more obvious uh, than what we have in the translation. 
But he's saying that the prophet was more like a mouthpiece for God that God would speak through. But in these last days, and a little translation would be, in these last days, God is speaking to us in the person of His Son, through the person of His Son. Now, what I'm fixing to share with you, I I hope helps you as much as it's helped me. Because what we're seeing here is God distinguishing the difference between the prophet as a mouthpiece and Jesus as a representation of his person or his personality. Let me say it another way. The personality of the prophet in the Old Testament was not necessarily a reflection of or a representation of the personality of the God that that prophet spoke on behalf of. That's key. That's really, really key. Okay? Because let's go back to, I think we've mentioned this already, but the Samaritans offend Jesus. Geographically, um, you could take a shortcut through Samarian, through Samaritan-held land, and it, you know maybe not quite as much as going through the Panama Canal, but you know it, it would cut some time off of a journey. Um, but you had to get permission from the Samaritans to pass through, and if they were in a bad mood, they told you no. And so they asked if they could pass through, and the Samaritans said no, and the disciples were offended. And they asked Jesus if they could call down fire from heaven and commit genocide. I mean, that's that's how angry they were. And Jesus says, you do not know what spirit you're of. The Son of Man did not come to take life but to give it. Okay, now we we mentioned that um, last uh, last class. But again, where, where did they get this idea of calling fire down from heaven? They got this this thought, this, this idea from the Old Testament prophets. And obviously, I mean, different time, different age, I'm not trying to go into you know, all the different explanations um, for that. Uh, but there's a key, there's a key place uh, in, in God's conversation with Abraham where he shows him all the land that he says, I'll give you one day. So the question... Abraham didn't ask it, but I'm sure he was thinking about it. And, and um, I was certainly, as I was reading it, you know, it was like, well, God, why one day? Why don't you, if, if you're going to give it to him, give it to him now. I mean, why, why has he got to wait this whole time, you know? And, and so obviously there's different reasons for that. But the reason that God explains is he says that the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet fulfilled. What does that mean? It means that God has a line and they hadn't crossed it yet, but there will come a day, because God's a just God, but there will come a day when they cross that line and when they cross that line, then God will deal with them. And you say, well, why is he waiting if he knows he's going to, all this stuff? Well, see, sometimes what we don't realize is that just because God knows what's going to happen in the future, that doesn't mean he's causing it or making it happen, okay? Um, But a lot of times we see things in the Bible that are speaking on a national scope. Um, and God doesn't just deal on a national level. He also deals on an individual personal level, right? So when he pronounces judgment against the children of Israel, the first generation that came out of slavery in Egypt, and he finally 
had had enough with him times 10, and he says, okay, you're not going in to the promised land. But there were exceptions. Am I right about this? Anybody remember Joshua and Caleb? So we sometimes think in terms of on a national level, and God does as well, but a lot of times we, what we don't know is that all these things playing out are, are giving people opportunities. We know that Jesus hasn't, for instance, Father God hasn't sent Jesus to come get us from this earth and bring us back home with him yet because he's long-suffering. He's trying to extend it as long as he possibly can to allow as many people as, as possibly will to have an opportunity to get saved. Okay? And so when he says that the iniquity was not yet fulfilled, we see that there is a line, right? And that, that it's going to come a day when God's going to... Listen, I'm not... What these people were doing to, to babies and children and the sacrifices, and I know that sometimes people have a, a, a problem, you know, with, with God and, and his justice and judgment and these, and these sorts of things. But again... He's fair. I'm not trying to go into all that. But the bottom line is God spoke to people in the past through, I like to say it this way, the mouthpiece or the instrumentation of a, of a prophet. But now in these last days, he is speaking to us in the person and the personality of his son. Here, here, this might be a better example, okay? Um, I get my Elijah's and my Elisha's confused. I believe it was Elisha um, where people were making fun of him uh, being bald-headed. And he called uh, some, uh, a mama bear out of the woods. To, to, anybody read that story of the Bible? Whew, man, it's like, what in the world, okay? Well, again, Jesus is like, you, you can't base what you understand about God's personality and nature on the personality of the prophet, but you can base those things on Jesus. All right. I'm not sure why all of my notes just dropped out on me. And we're about out of time, but I want to get one more point in. Can you hang with me just a second? Are you getting anything out of this? Okay. Y'all have been really quiet, but it's a different kind of quiet. I think it's an absorbing quiet. Is that fair? Y'all absorbing all this? Okay. Um, Amen. Let me get there. Praise God. So I, I, can, I can probably just, it's, it's in John 14 and 9 um, where Jesus makes it very clear that if we have seen him, we have seen the Father. Okay. And that's uh, extremely significant. Uh, if we've seen Jesus, we have seen the Father. That's um, John. It is John fourteen nine. I'll put that up on the screen. Um, Jesus said, "Have I been with you so long, and yet you've not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father?'" You remember uh, my quote, uh, or it's, it's Bill Johnson's quote, but one of my favorite ones from him, that Jesus is perfect theology. Jesus is perfect theology. All right. So one last verse, and we'll pray, and we'll and then we'll jump in here next week. John chapter 1 and verse 18. John chapter 1 and verse 18. Uh, it says, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, 
He has declared him. He has declared him. Now, though, obviously lots of important words in this verse. To be in the bosom of the Father means to, it would be a way of saying held dear by the Father. Um, bosom was like your lap, your heart, you know, so <coughs> in the bosom of the Father, the heart of the Father held dear uh, by the Father. No one has seen God at, at any time, the only begotten Son, who's in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. Okay? This word declared, this is what it means. Declare means to make known completely, thoroughly, particularly, and finally. Okay? Declare, Jesus has declared Him. He's the express image. That's another uh, way of saying this. We found that in Hebrews uh, uh, chapter 1. Declare means to make known completely, thoroughly, particularly, and I love that last part of that definition, and finally. In other words, finally, because we, we look at all these other folks and, and they were speaking for God and, and, and this sort of thing, but, you know, is that what God's like? I mean, is, is, you know, is, is, is God easily offended like that? Is God, so we see then in Jesus. So let's, let's read this verse, chapter 1, verse 18 again, but... I'm going to take the word declare out and I'm going to put the, what declare means in there, okay? So John 1 and 18, No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father. He has made Him known completely, thoroughly, particularly, and finally. All right? We'll begin next week talking about what all those words mean as it relates to Hebrews chapter 1. All right, let me pray for you. Father... Lord, we've covered a lot tonight. Thank you for helping us. Um, Father, I know sometimes uh, we can get the sense that, you know, it's so much information. How much of it are we retaining? But Lord, I thank you that um, we're receiving the seed of your word, the seed of your truth. It's being planted in us, Father. And, and Jesus, you said the Holy Spirit would bring back to our remembrance the things that, that Jesus says to us, things that we hear from Him. And so, Father, I believe that the, the things that we've covered tonight fall into that category. And so, Father, thank You for the efforts to pay attention, the efforts to take notes, the efforts to make mental notes of things that, that, that spoke to and were impactful in some way. But, Father, I thank You that we're not just dealing with the human brain's capacity to remember and recall, but Lord, our born-again spirits and the Holy Spirit, um, His ability to help us not only retain these things, benefit from these things, but put these into practice because the difference is in the doing. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Wow, thank you so much for being here. I'll see some of you, what, on Sunday, some of you uh, Monday, Tuesday. Much love, good things coming.